get out in here. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the original Intersex Connect Live, the place where people in and affecting the intersex community come together. I'm your host, Justin Benedict. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Kimberly Zieselman, intersex author, media consultant, human rights activist, and former executive director of Interact. Kimberly will be talking about her book, XOXY, both her personal and professional life experiences related to being intersex, the surgery, the lies, the joys, and so much more. This is an interactive broadcast, so we will be able to respond to your comments and questions real time. Hey, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me. Everything's freaking out around me today. And hopefully that blinking is only what I can see because that's horrible. Um, anyway, um, I usually have a diatribe. My diatribe today is get out and vote. So today's in our episode today. Um, well, before I do that, I need to bring Julie in, our beautiful co-host. Julie, come on in. Hi. Hi, Julie. I love that top on you. It looks great. Oh, well, thank you so much. We wanted to be intersex colors together, and so I'm glad that we made it happen. So and, I wore the uh, yellow, and, and there you and go. wore the purple. and. So we have tons of great news on today's show, don't we? So many things have happened this week. So many great things for the intersex community. Absolutely. So, I mean, what a week, and what a... Can we start with your great news? I, Why don't you tell I, us great news that you found out yesterday? So uh, I won my case against Alabama and case law, and we have uh, now introduced intersex terminology and um, rhetoric into Alabama law. And so I um, am now able to get my birth certificate, which has been a six-year fight, changed to female, which is how I wanted it changed, but more importantly, not having to fill out a trans agenda to do it, not having to find uh, fill out trans paperwork or even saying that I'm trans because I'm not. I'm intersex, and uh, by introducing the petition that that the University of Central Florida helped write, and that my um, lawyer Irene Pons has been mm -hmm. on board with, and then the um, ACLU of Alabama finally stepped in and got involved. So with all of the help that we have gotten and received, even in the last year. That is now a reality. I'm getting my new birth certificate. And um, and just great news for changing the uh, the documentation for intersex people to be included moving forward is huge. And so it was a, a big win. Yeah, so if I can put this in a nutshell for everybody, basically you wanted to change your birth certificate in Alabama and they were saying you need to come in, pull up your dress and prove that you've had gender affirming surgery. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. See that? And oh, then, and then even, in, even and then even in filling out the paperwork to change it, they were saying, you have to tell us that you're trans. You have to say that you are trans and that you've transitioned and that you have gone out and gotten a, shiny new hoo-ha and i was like <laughs> that's so wrong it's not a damn business really i mean a six-year fight and then just even in when we went back and forth even with the aclu i was like i'm not gonna say in my paperwork that i'm trans i'm not trans and so finally mm -hmm. i sent it in about two months ago and it said i'm xxy and this is what that means and i included all of the intersex paperwork and a letter from my doctor and and we really sat on pins and needles waiting to see if they were even going to 
accept that. And when they did. That's me. So now this has been accepted in Florida and Alabama both. Is that correct? Yes. So I, I changed case law in Florida in 2018 when two applying states, for my huh? for my name and, and then now case law in Alabama. So we're very excited. Well, congratulations. Thanks, Irene. She was on our uh, YouTube protest show. And um, the people at the college, I'm sorry, I forgot what college. Um, University of Central Florida. Oh, and yeah. so, and and then somebody called me a pioneer the other day, and I was like, I don't think I am. <laughs> I don't think I'm a pioneer, but. So, well, hey, we got a ton of stuff to talk about today. So, I'm going to bring in our guest, and I'm going to be doing a short introduction. But our guest today, Kimberly Zieselman, is the author of this book. This book, there we go. XOXY, a memoir. And there you go. Thank you, Bosch. Um, and I've just recently read it because my good friend Tracy Brown bought it for me for my birthday. So thank you very much, Tracy. And before we bring in Kimberly, I would like to thank Metamorphosis Ceremonies for um, commenting and being here to watch our show. And, and we have to we have to thank Ben Sound. We can't go oh, into our show without thanking Ben Sound for our wonderful music at the beginning, which we yes, love. Bensound.com, people. B-E-N-Sound.com. We definitely got to get that in there because <laughs> they helped us out a lot. All right, Kimberly, can you come join our party? Hello. Hi, Hi. Kimberly. How are you? I'm great. I almost feel like I should call you Mrs. Zieselman. So oh, I gosh, please don't. love your new stature today, but I don't oh, want to give no. away that secret yet. We're going to hold that for later. Hold on to that secret. You have amazing news for later in the show that we're going to save just to make sure everybody stays here. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but so, Kimberly, I've been reading your book and I have like one chapter left to go, I'll admit. Um, it was so well written and so impactful that the emotions were palpable for me um, because we've had so many similar situations. Um, you got different results than I generally did, but um, it's everybody that is or is not intersex should read your book to get an understanding of what it's like to be an intersex person. So wow. Kimberly, what I would like to ask you um, first is, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Did you, oh, actually I got to ask you the first question we ask everybody, are you intersex? <laughs> I sure am. And do you mind sharing your diagnosis with us? Sure, well, my intersex trait is complete androgen and sensitivity. And so that means that I was um, born, uh, well, I have XY chromosomes, uh, which, you know, are typically thought of as male. Um, I did not have any female reproductive internal organs. And instead, I had internal healthy testes. Um, I looked phenotypically typical female when I was born. And so there was no evidence of my intersex traits until I hit puberty and didn't start menstruating. And that's when the doctors were called in and the tests were done. And All right. so let's take a, a little bit deeper dive in there if we can. I want to back up though, um, because 
when you were growing up as a child, um, no indications. You had a surgery at what six years old for a hernia, and um, even then, there didn't seem to be any indications of your situation. Um, tell us a little bit, if you could, about your childhood up until the surgery in question. Sure. Well, uh, you know, my childhood, I, you know, I was born in the 60s. My childhood was really in the 70s. It was kind of a middle class neighborhood, um, kind of a regular, you know, uh, upbringing. Um, nothing specific stands out. Absolutely no indication that um, I was intersex. You know, I've, I've, I've always identified as female. And so it wasn't until I um, you know, I got older and started going through puberty that the questions were, were asked, but you know, my upbringing was pretty typical. I, you know, had a happy childhood. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I love your necklace, your intersex necklace. You Thank designed you. that yourself. Did you not? No, I, I wish I could say I did. No, a good oh. friend of mine who's also intersex gifted it to me. Okay. And Margie, sorry, I didn't call you by the right name. Anyway. Hi, Margie. Oh, and all right. So Kimberly, um, can you tell us a little bit about the surgery you had and the things that you were told at that time when sure. you were 16? Yeah. So when I was um, 15, about to turn 16, uh, I was told that I needed mm -hmm. to have a uh, hysterectomy, which was not the case. I didn't have any female reproductive organs, but that's what I was told. Um, that I had only partially formed female reproductive organs that would need to come out or they'd become cancerous. So uh, there was this sort of cancer fear in the air. And um, I you know, was scheduled for surgery as soon as school got out. And um, in fact, you know what I learned many years later when I got my medical records uh, at age 40 was that uh, what they removed were actually healthy testes and um, then, in fact, I didn't have a didn't have um, a hysterectomy. So, but they gave, but you, an, they gave you an oreectomy then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. But and they then, didn't tell you that, right? No. Mm -mm. What did mm -mm. they tell? The, uh, um, I'm like, sorry to hone in on this, but because this is the part of being intersex that makes me the most angry. Mm -hmm. What did the doctor tell you about other people with your situation at that time? That it was so extremely rare and that, you know, there was nobody else like me except for maybe this one person that you know, he had read about in a medical journal in Canada. So I always kind of wondered about, you know, from age 15 to 40, like, who was this person in Canada that, you know, was like me? Um which of course was so untrue. I mean, we all know now there's there's thousands and thousands of people like me and you out there. Yeah, that that I call that intersex island. Um, when yeah. and and you didn't even know you were intersex, so you didn't even know you were on intersex island. But no. when they tell you you're the only person like this, and or there might be one other, and how depressing, I don't know for a better word, um, how upsetting that is to find out that you're like the only person in the world and you start thinking crazy things about yourself. Exactly. And, it, and yeah. how, how did you get through that? 
I mean, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't intersex island. At least I didn't know it was intersex island, but it was an island, you know? I didn't know anyone else like me. I felt, you know, this sort of shame about not being like the other girls, um, you know, not having a period. Uh, I knew that I would never be able to have biological children. And those were kind of the things that, you know, mattered, you know, at the time um, to me. And so I just sort of, I, I I did a lot of burying it, but it, of course, as you know, feelings and all of this shame and stigma and questioning rears its ugly head in weird ways. And it did so throughout, you know, my young adulthood. Um, and it really wasn't until I discovered the truth that I felt after a bit of anger and, you know, my life getting turned upside down for, for, for a minute, I felt a lot of relief and just, I've been so much happier right. since I knew the truth. Right. One more step back to high school. I'm going to ask. That's okay. After they told you you'd had a hysterectomy and you'd never have children. Did you become hyper feminine? Like you never left the house unless your makeup was on point and you always made sure you were gorgeous. Quit talking about me like I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that changed my the level of how feminine I felt or acted didn't change. Um, I think I did go through a period though, soon after I found out the truth, no, where I, I was for a couple of years, I, I look back on it now, maybe subconsciously, you know, worrying about my nails more or wearing dresses more, you know, things that were, were subtle. But when I look back on it, I think I probably was struggling a little bit more than than I realized, but what was, you know, what was a light, literally a lifesaver was uh, finding a connection, right. To other people who get it yeah. and who have so stories just like mine or similar to mine and uh, meeting them online and eventually meeting them on person in person was the best therapy, the best healing, you know, I could, I could have done. Yeah. The community is extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, so, you had these surgeries and then you went on to college and everything was pretty much normal. You're attracted to boys and, you know, it's what everybody would have expected other than the fact that you are a very, what's the word? Uh, um, oh, I can't think of the word, but you did extremely well in school because you worked so damn hard and you can't let anything be just mm -hmm. a little bit off without noticing it. A little, a little bit of a perfectionist. And I think, you know, I, I've always had to really work hard for my grades. I'm not one of these, you know, straight, don't study the night before and get an A. You know, I had to really work hard. And I think, I think reflecting back again, 2020 hindsight, a lot of my drive is related to this need to kind of prove something. And I don't think I was ever really clear on what I was trying to prove. It was just to myself. The pressure wasn't coming from anywhere else. It was never coming from my parents or anywhere else. It's in it, it, you know, I, I struggle with that a little bit to this, to, to this day. And I think that's something that other uh, intersex people I've talked to can relate to. Yes. Um, so it was kind of like, if I'm going to be a unique person, I'm going to be the best unique person there is. Would that Maybe. be accurate? Yeah. 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 Okay. So then um, you were going to counseling. Um, I don't know, did you start counseling while you were in college or after you got out of college? Oh, much, much later. Um, okay. 
I started in my mid thirties, um, which is also coincidentally around the same time that I became a parent. Uh, my husband and I adopted twin girls from China. And by the way, your daughters are absolutely beautiful and an inspiration to they are. They are. They they are. They they feel really yeah, I, I feel really fortunate to have um, been matched with them. And I, you know, I believe it was meant to be um, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, so that kind of that, you know, concern in the early years about fertility and, you know, what that meant for me, you know, it worked out great. It worked out the way it was meant to be. And I know it's a struggle for people in different ways, but for me, uh, I feel like this is what was meant to be. Well, those so. girls are very lucky to have you as their mother. Wow. So they really are. So yeah. the, X, the XO, because we know in your book title, it's XOXY and your mm -hmm. androgen insensitivity is the XO considered, because some people are going to watch this and think, is the XO Turner syndrome? No, right. No, it, it simply evolved as, you know, when I first got connected to people in the community, it was even before Facebook. And so everything was in these listservs and we were just emailing. And I started signing off, you know, instead of XOXO, hugs and kisses, I yes. signed up XO and then I put XY, thought it was so clever. And then it just kind of took, took off, you know, and then it, it just became sort of a symbol for me around kind of that like community and kind of wink wink we know what that means so it just yes. felt like a like a comfortable little symbol um and you know i know i know now other people in the community have uh taken to it as well and gotten tattoos and you know it's, it's really fun to see how it took off so i knew right away that needed to be the title of my book so Margie asked a question in the chat real quick, and she wanted to know how much emotional turmoil you went through when all the other girls started menstruating and you didn't. Was that very emotional? Sure. I th it was. I mean, you know, I, I buried it. I swallowed it. You know, I was I was one that didn't show the emotion as much as probably I should have. But yeah, it, it was it felt to me like just this constant reminder that even though I was, you know, viewed as a woman or a girl at the time, and I was walking around the world identifying as female and, you know, fitting into all the stereotypes uh, that society puts on us, I felt like a freak, really. Like, like there's something wrong with me. Like, I always have this sense, like I've never... I can't say I've, I felt male versus female, but I've... Whatever that means, but I've I've... I've always felt just something different. Like you line up the boys on one side of the room in gym, right? Gym class, you line up the girls on the other. And if, and I always, you know, felt like I should go with the girls. But yes. if, you, if I paused and thought about it, it was like, but not really. Like, you know, there was right. always, this, there was always yeah. this kind of, mm, you know, and, and I, I would think that for like, two seconds and push it away because it was too hard to think about. It was way too hard to think about. So I pushed those thoughts away over and over and over again uh, for years. Yeah. Um, I'm just a little bit older than you. And I came from the um, thought process of you never show the cracks or never let the cracks show. Right. Life was always great and you never let anybody know anything's wrong. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, now, 
I'm trying to get to um, Margie's question, but I got to put a couple things in front of it. Um, when you got the truth, you were already a mother, correct? I was. And were your daughters at puberty at that time or not? We adopted them at nine months old. So they were infants. Um, when you found yeah. out they were infants? They were infants when we got matched and they were, I think, 10 months by the time we flew back from China. And when I found out they were, trying to do the math, around five-ish. Um, and yeah, they were about five-ish. And it was interesting, this, is, this goes to, to the question and the comments. One of my biggest fears right out of the shoot about becoming a mom was, uh, to daughters specifically, was, oh my God, they're gonna get their period someday. Like that to me was so scary. Like all the rest of parenting is scary. And that's what I, but that's what I focused on. Like, because just, you kind of, you did you feel like, you, what am I going to be able to teach them and give back to yeah, them? Is that yeah. how you're and, and I think I was just so uncomfortable with the concept that it, it just, I was like, oh, I don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with it. You know, it was a, like, you know, there's books and there's, you know, all that, you know, the resources. So it wasn't so much, I didn't know what to tell them because I can figure that out. It was more of a deeper, like, this feels unappealing to have to deal with. And I don't like, it just was too triggering, you know? Um, and I write about it in my book. Kind of the funny thing was when it happened, when my, one of my daughters had it a few days before the other twin and I was away at the, I was, I think in Seattle and we were in New York city at the time living in New York city. So I was across the country at an intersex conference at the interconnect or the AISDSD conference as it used to be called, you know, what I, my annual pilgrimage to like be with my tribe. And that's when I got the call from my husband who was there getting them ready for camp having to deal with all of this. So it was just, I don't know, it was a weird twist of fate that I ended up at the intersex conference when that finally happened and that he ended up dealing with it. And I, you know, I said, you know, you, you know, just as much as I do really. I mean, you know, uh, there, and that's just a weird feeling, but it was, it was, and it was all fine. You know, it was all fine. My fears were for nothing, but. Um, that's good. So yeah. I want to talk about how you found out you were intersex because I think that was one of the most heartless situations I've read about in a long time. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. So some, you know, medical issues led me to go to my primary care doctor who I'd been seeing for years. And um, she could tell I was a little freaked out. I wasn't acting normal. I was a little bit more excitable and, She's like, you know, you might just have a mild little hernia going on, an inguinal hernia. And we can, you know, that's probably in and out surgery. But, you, and I started bursting out tears. I was like, no, I have this fear. It's cancer. And she's like, what are you talking about? So she's like, you know, we're going to get your medical records and we're going to, we're going to look, we're going to, we're going to dig up your medical records. Cause I started talking about how I had this risk of cancer. And of course, she knew this whole story. I mean, she was my primary care doctor, but we had never really, I had never really burst into tears about it. And so, um, 
she got my medical records and there, um, there it was, you know, male pseudo hermaphrodite. And she, she actually, I, I came in like a week later and Can you just stop one second because you're sitting in the office by yourself, opening the file and it said male pseudo hermaphrodite. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Because I came back a week later. So she had other appointments and she just said, here, I'm putting the file in this office. I'm going to take care of a patient but check out the file. And so I was sitting there alone reading male pseudo-hermaphrodite and testicular feminization thinking, <laughs> what? Um, and, you know, she came back in and, you know, she did a little explanation and um, she said, I, you know, I prob I have, I must have XY chromosomes. There's no karyotype in the file. Um, and so I, I said, I really want to know that for sure. So, you know, uh, instead of sending me upstairs at this teaching hospital where she practiced in primary care, I could have gone up to the blood lab and had the test done right then and there. She said, no, I'm going to write you a, a script. You're going to go out to this Quest Labs out in the suburbs. Let's keep it out of the hospital records so that when it comes back XY, God forbid the hospital or insurance ever denies like anything you need in the future, like mammograms or anything like that, based on the fact that, you know, and she was trying to be an advocate for me and she was very progressive and sort of like anti the insurance industry and thinking, you know, thinking on her feet for me. But what it made me feel like was such a freak that I couldn't even go upstairs and get my blood done at the, right at the lab upstairs. Like that this was something so shameful and that should be hidden or that would deny you felt like she was trying to push you out and hide you. And she was in a yeah. way to protect me. But it, it, it's just like the way everyone lied to me when I was a child and mm -hmm. and no one, you know, told the truth. This whole non-disclosure model, which really, you know, isn't isn't the norm anymore. Thank goodness. That is where most of the harm came from. It wasn't from being intersex. It was the lies that perpetuated this unnecessary shame and stigma. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you're a religious person, so I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go after the parents <laughs> because my parents absolutely positively knew about my situation and lied to me up, up through their death, even though at one point I was so sick that they were telling my wife that I was going to die in 30 days or less, and they still never said a word. So, um, sorry. How did you reconcile this with your parents? Uh, well, you know, I asked them both um, separately because they were divorced by this time. If they knew what they knew, and they both separately, you know, were really calm and said, "No, you know, we know what the doctors, what you know that you know you were born with partially formed organs that needed there was a risk of cancer." So. You know, it's hard to believe now, but this was 1980, what, two or yeah, 1982. And before the internet, I mean, those files that I got when I was looking at them were handwritten. They weren't computer notes. I mean, it was very dated. Um, in fact, my informed consent, there's a piece of paper in my file, which is the doctor's handwriting saying, it's like three sentences saying something like, you know, patient and father, agree to have said procedure and understand the risks involved in said procedure. And then it had my dad's signature and my little 15 year old like printing kind of signature. And it, that was our informed consent, you know, 
This you was, were definitely not informed, were you? This was a Harvard teaching hospital, you know, in Boston. It, you know, with the head of reproductive oncology doing my surgery. So I was in basically the cancer unit. I never had cancer. And the pathology report shows that my gonads were completely healthy and would have continued to produce hormones that I needed and would have converted to estrogen and all that stuff that I needed. So, you know, I could so have used it. was those. an unnecessary surgery. Very unnecessary, had, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was unnecessary. Based on a premise that was caused you to have to have. You've been on hormones ever since, right? Right. That's great. And there's stress in that. You know, there's stress. You know, even when I went to the NIH in my 40s and they said, you have to do this, this, and this to just live longer. I mean, I trusted them and 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 they didn't lead me stray, but I'm on a, a crap ton of estrogen for the rest of my life. And 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 there's worry about that, you know, and people come to us and say, Aren't you worried? And not, what what are sure, yeah, no. What's your what's your studies? Yeah. We don't know. We have to be our so, own advocates. We, I, I've always said that. We have to absolutely 100% be our own advocates. Mm -hmm. All right. So then you found out that you were intersex, but you didn't know it was intersex yet. They just pseudo-hermaphrodite. Don't know what that Right, right. And so I, you know, I pulled an all-nighter. Googling and ended up finding the support group and, you know, other resources online, but it really wasn't for, even after I got connected with the support group, it really wasn't probably a good year or two before the word intersex even entered my vocabulary. And it was, you know, a couple of years after that before I really used it to describe myself. So it was an evolution because I was surrounded with this, you know, pathologizing medical model of you have a condition, you were born an abnormal female. There's something that needed to be fixed. And so my focus for a while was like, just such relief of finding other people that understood and realizing that I wasn't alone as an intersex woman that struggled with some of these issues or as a woman who had androgen sensitivity, I should say. Um, and so after a couple of years of just feeling like getting connected and getting my feet on the ground emotionally, then the advocacy piece of it started to kick in for me. And it was like, yeah, no, I'm intersex and that label means something. And I I wanna, you know, hold on to that and let's see what we can do to change this for other kids, you know. So if there's somebody watching that has AIS that's watching this show today, what is the name of the organization where you found your people? Well, it used to be called the AIS DSD organization, but today you wanna go to interconnect. So it's interconnect, all one word, dot org. Great organization. More like the, the ORCIDs? Was that the group that you first got? It was, it from? was. And, and when I first went to them 15 years ago or so, it was very much women, first of all, people who identified as women, almost all with AIS, a few with Swire's syndrome. Um, and that was it. And so the organization has evolved and changed. And what started, it would also include families. And so families who had children with, with AIS would start coming. And what happened over time is we, the organization started to see some of these kids that were growing up in the support group were suddenly not identifying as female anymore. 
and or maybe had been misdiagnosed or had partial androgen insensitivity where there's more of a spectrum around being receptive to androgens and so started to feel, you know, want to present more masculine or non-binary. So the organization was sort of forced into, wow, we've got to be much broader than just, you know, being accepting to females with androgen insensitivity syndrome or people that identified as female. And so the organization over time grew and um, has become much more diverse. So now it's an organization for people with any any intersex traits and families as well and parents. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been a great, I know it's a great resource for so many families and so many uh, intersex people of all ages. Um, and I really think that's, that's the peer support that parents get and the peer support that intersex people get is irreplaceable. I would imagine so. All right. So, um, I'll get back to that comment there, but um, Margie is letting us know that knowing that she is not alone is incredible. Kimberly was my first other CAIS person, and that's why her book is so important to me. Her book was incredibly healing for me. I'm sure you hear that a lot. I, you know, I, I hear that occasionally, and it is the best feedback I could ever get. I mean, that's Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad it was helpful. That's that's why I wrote the book. I mean, I I never intended to sit down and write a book. I was working full time. I was running an organization. Um, I was approached to consider doing it, and I finally decided to do it. And it just the you know the writing process was hard, but the outline, the concepts, just sort of fell out of me. Like it was very um, easy to put together an outline. And I thought, well, if I can be a light at the end of the tunnel for somebody else who's going through this. And also, I think importantly, my story, I think, is still one of the only non-traditionally queer, you know, I use queer um, in quotes, but one of the non-LGBT, intersex and LGBT stories out there. So even though I'm, you know, I kind of consider myself queer with a lowercase q and part of the umbrella community and very much an ally at, at a minimum, um, not everyone does. Of course, not everyone's comfortable yes. with that for a variety of reasons. It doesn't mean they're homophobic or anything else. It just is not what connects for them. And so my hope was writing a book, you know, and that was like this, you know, as my publisher puts on the Amazon blurb, you know, a Kimberly's, you know, Kimberly, a regular housewife, suburban housewife. And, you know, people laugh. They're like, why did you let them say you were a regular suburban housewife? I'm like, cause you're not. I'm like, because the people were trying to meet because, you know, I am, you know, I do have kids on the soccer field on the weekends and I am very much that, that, and also mother things, but that the audience that I was really hoping to reach I'm never going to reach the wacky conservative right and right. you know the queer community is you know that's another you know that's another education that's needed and that'll happen but that movable middle that more kind of if you want to use mainstream or whatever um you know people that read good housekeeping magazine and and watch lifetime tv i mean they're they need to see people that i think they can quote relate to at least on the surface to open up their hearts and minds. And so that was my reason for putting my story out there. And I think, and I also wanna say, my story is just, as you all know, but I wanna say this on, on this interview, my story is just one story, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not everyone's story. I think we all share different elements in common and can relate, 
but we all have unique stories. And, you know, there are stories of, of people who are queer and intersex and people who aren't queer and intersex, and they're all important. And we need more of these stories in all forms of media to get out there. Really, I agree. really important. Absolutely. And, you, and you have such an impact in media. I mean, one of the reasons that I couldn't wait to get you on here and just you learn about things individually in different times. And um, I had heard about your time at Faking It. And then I went, what? I was on Faking It. And so like it was just and then well, I remembered for a second before we jump into that. I've got sure. one more difficult question. And then Sorry. we can get into the good stuff, if that's okay. My next difficult question is, when you found out the truth, you were married and you had kids. How the hell did you tell your family? How did you tell your husband? Hey, guess what? I'm Max Y. And how did yeah, you do that? Just like that, over dinner, and it was no big deal. No, it took me a while. <laughs> I, you know, it took me a minute, um, you know, a little time, not long. And... I remember, and I talk about this in the book, where I remember, you know, relaying the information. It's like, hey, you know, my doctor gave me this, I saw this file, and this is what really happened to me. And his reaction was something to the effect of, well, we, we kind of knew that already. I mean, it ha hasn't really changed anything. You're still you. And, um, and that is the reaction I got from my parents, each of my parents, that's the reaction I got from some friends. And I think it was people's way of being, not wanting to look alarmed, being very well-intentioned and making me feel like it wasn't a big deal. Like, we still love you. Like, but I wanted a reaction. And when I didn't get what I wanted was, oh, I wanted them to be like, wow, that must have rocked your world. How are you doing? Are you, you know, like this is like, I mean, I needed validation because this was before I connected with other people in the community. This was very, very early. And I needed validation that this was a, a big fucking deal, you know, mm -hmm. and, and everyone was trying to downplay it. And I understand that it was <laughs> to make me feel better about myself and not freak out. But I, I, it was like I was shaking, you know, like shaking my husband, like, no, this is a big deal. Why don't you get it? And the poor guy couldn't win. I mean, you know, there was no, in that moment, no matter what he did, ultimately he ended up and still we still are married and he ended up being wonderful and accepting and supportive. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure he would say today that it's, you know, I've become a better person for, for it. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been enriching to our whole family in, in many ways. I mean, my girls, I, I told them soon after, I mean, as they were getting older, you know, in their preteens and, um, you know, and it's great. I mean, they, they grew up, knowing all sorts of people and families and pretty early on, certainly by middle school had friends that were trans and it, it's to them, it's just like, Oh yeah. Intersex a thing. And that's how my mom was, you know, that's how my mom was born. And so it's just normalized in our family. I think that's the power of love and it's certainly the power of education. And I think that, um, you know, I, I can only speak for myself. We all say that all the time, but I being intersex, we're conditioned to think that we're not going to live a viable life, that we're not going to go on to do great things, that we're not going to be accepted by other people, that we're not going to ever have love, that we're never going to have a family, that, you know, we're going to be tossed into a criminal situation and end up in, I mean, that's how we're conditioned, even in the, in the rhetoric 
from all the medical stuff that we've heard for the last 50 or 60 years. So I think that in that story, in your story, in my story, uh, there are cases where that is just the testament and the power of what love in its purest form is and that acceptance. And I think that sometimes I can identify with you or you said you wanted to get a reaction because it is a really cool thing and it's a watershed moment, but then it's also testament in just the story you're telling about your daughters and your husband that, and your friends, that's what love is. And that's what education does, mm -hmm. you know, and it kind of, it brings us back down to this place of we are viable and we are uh, every bit a part of this place and we should be here. And, and I, and totally, totally, you know, Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that, um, when I was in that situation, I had a completely different experience and I would like you to give your husband an extra hug tonight and tell him it's from me because okay. to have that support in your family is, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I do feel fortunate. And, and I think just by more people learning about these issues and, you know, expecting parents, I mean, it should be part of the, you know, what to expect when you're expecting, there should be at least yeah. a page, yes. um, if not a chapter. Um, so it's not such a big deal. And you know, I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there where it's going to be included in these books and in these. And you're right. It should be. I mean, I I've been working on a book myself that I was, I, you know, I hemmed and hawed about writing it. Now that I'm writing it, it's very cathartic for me. And I'm able to really reprocess some of these situations that I just kind of ran at the speed of light through, right? Like yeah. what? Nope. I'm out, you know, and then, uh, and I'm going back and I'm reprocessing and I'm talking to my parents in the process and people always ask, you know, are you mad at your parents? Did your parents pick your sex? And I'm like, no, my parents were, and completely in the dark as I was like they literally in the era I'm from Alabama originally and and I talk about how everything that I found out growing up my parents found out at exactly the same time so now they're doing double the work to process it to make sure that it doesn't affect me and my trajectory and then they're just as lost so I've always said same ocean, same storm, different boats, you know, and, and so it happens I, to the whole family, you know, it happens to the whole family. So, mm -hmm. yes. All right. So I want to mention that Pam is watching. She's not able to comment in the chat right now, but um, she says that you're, that she's sobbing and sending much love. So, mm -hmm. I gotcha. um, and since we're there, why don't we move on? to the uh, show that you and Julie were talking about when I interrupted you so rudely. It's okay. It's okay. I was like, ah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So, um, so yes. So faking it, I, I was on faking it uh, in the male form as a pageant judge. And then I remember meeting crazy, crazy. just crazy. And, and in that episode, I literally, and I think I told you this, it was, it was break. And I went to the concessions table to grab a granola bar and Bailey was back there in her yep. pink pageant gown. And we had this full conversation. And then literally in just talking to you, getting ready for this show, I went, holy, holy crap. Yeah. Like, Put two and two together. Yeah. And never, you mm -hmm. know, and, and we laugh, I laugh because I, I never in a million years did I realize that that was the impact and that I would meet that person and that was kind of fate. And then we would be talking about it and having this full conversation and that, that you 
were responsible for her involvement. And so I want to hear about that. And then we'll move into talking about your movie as well. So you really are kind of with your book and, and your establishment within MTV and the different shows. And you really are making full circle with media. And that's what's needed. It became, you know, so I was at Interact and uh, the showrunner of Faking It, Carter Covington, he and I have remained, we, we are very good friends now. He reached out to Glad as almost everyone does and says, hey, you know, I want to add an Intersex character. I don't know much about it. And they said, oh, you need to talk to Kimberly. We just did a training that she was involved in. And, you know, so they knew me. This goes back many years now. And when I first got an email from Glad about this, I kind of rolled my eyes and I said, you know, I thought to myself, oh, MTV wants to do right. a show on Intersex. I'm thinking it's going to be like reality TV and, and really disrespectful. You know, I wasn't thinking, you know, I was just thinking, the last yeah. time I watched MTV, it was you yeah. know, music videos and reality TV. So um, then I got and that we're going to and then maybe you're feeling we're going to be the butt of the joke. Well, exactly. Because, yeah. I just I, I instantly got, you know, my walls went up and I said, all right, I'll have this call. But, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I was so wrong. I mean, the showrunner is, as I said, a dear friend. He was really wanting to do the right thing. Um you know, I talked to him and his writers in the writer's room. And then after that first phone call, I said, I don't know, this this has potential to actually do a lot of good. And um, we ended up getting some of our Interact youth members who are all intersex involved in the project, particularly Emily Quinn, who was working for me at the time, um, doing some communications works for a nonprofit and, um, and actually lived in LA, whereas I was on the, the East Coast. And so we collaborated a lot together and um, it was a really fun project. I mean, we, we and, and other youth members got to look at the scripts and tweak here and there around language. I have to say, they had us they had us train the writers room the casting crew there was a lot of um prep work mtv got involved we were able to produce some psas and and they they really got it they really got it right so but so the by the time they were writing scripts there really wasn't much to correct or change they knew what they were doing but it was a really fun experience um unfortunately it got canceled after season three and we were really disappointed because we were going to take uh, Bailey's um, story. Lauren Cooper was the was the character. We were going to take Lauren's story much further. And we were going to get into some of the background. You know, they did talk about her being intersex yes. and all of that, but we were going to get more into like, you know, I was wearing my advocacy hat constantly and saying like, we need to get into the surgery issues. We need to get into how it went down with their parents. And we were just able, it, never able to go there. And that was really, really uh, disappointing. And, you know, that show stopped airing, I don't know, five, six years ago. I mean, it was a while ago and there has not been another television show no. with an intersex character since. So it was groundbreaking. I'm available. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be more. I mean, there's things in development. Um, yeah. Why? Because we are running out of time. Can we talk about the show that you're currently filming? The movie. So, so the movie is, uh, it's a short film and it's uh, written by uh, a great guy called named Robbie Robertson. Uh, he approached me, I don't know, about a year and a half ago uh, with this idea uh, and, and, a, and a draft script to review. And it's called Common as Red Hair, referring to the fact that intersex people are as common as being born with red hair. Um, and he came with that title and with this story 
And what I can tell you is it's, it's a short film that focuses on really the parents and it dives right into the parents uh, and you start to realize that there's a twist at the end and I don't want to ruin it because you think something and then at the very end you realize it's something else. But the, the whole issue is around parental regret and having to make that decision and not having all the full information and then their daughter, the child, their intersex daughter struggling with gender and sexuality and sort of like, where is this going? And, and um, it has a happy ending in that there's a lot of love in the family and there's acceptance and coming together, but it's, it's, it, you really feel the, the crux of the issue we were talking about earlier, which was the non-disclosure, the, uh, you know, the surgery done without their consent before they could even talk. And then, you know, the, the child, the intersex person having regrets and struggling with that and the fact that their parents made this decision for them. And it's, be, I have to say, be, it was beautifully done. We just shot it last weekend, a couple of days ago in Columbia, South Carolina. It just happened to be where we filmed it in this old, beautiful house. And we have one scene that's in a doctor's office, but otherwise it was all set in this, this house. And I, I'm just so excited for it to come out. Um, the actors who, who, who volunteered to work on the, I mean, they're um, incredible cast and crew. Everyone was also really stoked about the issue and the story and the fact that they were truly being pioneers and getting this story out there on in film. I mean, there aren't that many. So, um, so hopefully we'll be getting it to festivals next year and we'll see what happens. But um, there are, other, there are some documentaries in development, um, some that I'm involved in, some that I'm not. There are, um, there is another TV show that I can't say much about that I'm involved in that I'm really excited may, may happen. So I think we're going to see more. Um, yeah, I think okay. I love to hear it. And anytime you get intersex representation on TV that's accurate and not scary, that's a wonderful thing. That's uh, right. Because we are running out of time, and I did promise everybody that we had great news for the intersex community. Mm -hmm. We'll see if I can read this without crying. Because oh, I'm so excited. It, this is like I'm on the West Wing. wing. It's like the um, West Wing. Because <laughs> or uh, you are. Yes kind of the focus of this whole little thing, but the State Department of the United States put out a, me a message this morning, and I'm going to read that message to you, and um, it goes like this. On October 26th, we commemorate Intersex Awareness Day and honor the many contributions intersex voices have made in the global struggle for inclusion, equality, and dignity for all. The Department of State is committed to promoting and protecting the human rights of all individuals, including intersex persons who often face discrimination, harmful medical practices, violence, social stigma, solely based on their sex characteristics. The department has made it a priority to include intersex voices and perspectives in U.S. diplomacy and foreign assistance. This spring, the department established a a historic precedent offering the X gender marker on the U.S. passport application forms, which paves the way for intersex, non-binary, non and gender non-conforming persons to mark unspecified or other gender. And here's the best part. And today, we are announcing Kimberly Zeisselman, a respected intersex expert and advocate, has joined the office of the U.S. Special Envoy, advanced the human rights of the LGBTQI plus 
persons. So you are working for the State Department. And yes, I am. I'm in my second week. <laughs> right, let me finish this statement before I go sideways. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as Sec Secretary Blinken told heads of the government and foreign ministers of the United Nations mm -hmm. LGBTI core group last month, intersex people, including minors, continue to be subjected to unnecessary, mm -hmm. unnecessary surgeries without their consent, underscoring the important responsibilities of government to ensure LGBTQI plus persons across the globe are able to enjoy the same rights and the same protections as all other persons. In the president's 2021 memorandum on advancing the human rights of the LGBTQI plus persons around the world, he stated that it is the policy of the United States to pursue an end to violence and discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression and sex characteristics. The United States stands in solitary with intersex persons honoring the advocacy of activists, organizations, and governments, and remains steadfast in its commitment, commitment to promoting the dignity and the human rights of intersex persons around the world. Now that came out today, and I'm stoked. <laughs> we have <laughs> representation in Washington. Mm -hmm. Intersex representation. How, yeah. What, it's what a, can you tell me about all that? It, it's a historic milestone. I mean, I, I feel, I feel the responsibility and the privilege that goes along with this. Um, you know, we we all know that there are other intersex people working in federal government. They're just not out. They're just not activists. I mean, you know, statistically, they're there. I hope that they're going to be able to feel more seen and more able to come out. Um, I'm going to be contributing to a, well, giving a presentation in a few weeks to the whole Department of State. I mean, it's virtual things that people can watch later or whatever, but it's a training. Um, and, you know, I think the more people like all of us are out talking about these issues like we are tonight on this, um, hopefully, and the more characters on TV and the more books that are out, the more empowered and safe our intersex community is going to feel to kind of join us in taking that risk and taking that step of putting yourself out there. It's, um, it's not easy. And it, it's really kind of overwhelming and amazing to hear that statement read. It's the first time I've heard it, someone read it. I mean, I, I've read it, but to hear you read it and say it loud. Um, and it's emotional, it, isn't it? It's, it's emotional. Yeah. It is for me. It is. I mean, there's so many of us, um, uh, y'all included and others that came before us that have been speaking up since, you know, for decades. And um, I feel like we're really all standing on their shoulders right now. Um, and, you know, there will be, you know, the, the next generation of intersex activists, the young people is really where the hope in the future is. The young medical doctors, that's, they get it, you know, the next generation of medicine. Um, it's, it's going to evolve and uh, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that these human rights abuses and this, this physical and emotional has continued for so long um, despite all of our raised voices. But I think with the government, you know, paying more attention, at least in this administration and certainly governments around the world. I mean, you know, we've had good news out of Greece and Kenya and, other places where it's just incredible to see the the movement uh, advance. Um, so I Alabama, Alabama, exactly. I mean, if it can happen in Alabama, right. um, you know. So like, 
all of these are really important wins and steps forward. Um, so on this Intersex Awareness Day, I feel extremely hopeful and grateful, um, but we, we're still mm -hmm. gonna have a lot of work ahead of us, regardless of that statement, you know, um, that's the truth. And so we carry on. That is an absolutely giant step. To get it almost, to for me, it feels like here we are on the front lines, right? We are on the front lines and it feels like we have finally gotten the backing of the most important generals and, and, and upper escalons. It's almost like, it feels like the King has kind of stepped out into battle with us and said, here, here, I'm going to fight with you. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to fight with you. And, and that's, yeah. it's huge. For our it's huge. It's huge. I mean, at the, at the white house, uh, pride event this june you know president biden actually said the word intersex in his speech i was in the room with you know lots of other lgbtq i um activists and it was just this moment of the president just said the word intersex like that alone you know and it shouldn't be that big a deal but yeah. it is you know it is. Um, so uh so go out and vote because we we need this uh yeah, the midterms are upon us, and we need this administration and the good people. So, in since since you. you brought the vote thing up, I mm -hmm. want to ask this question because it might influence somebody's vote. Um, this position was a position that was actually started in the Obama administration. Is that correct? It is. Well, so not my specific position, but the special envoy. Uh, for LGBTI uh, uh, human rights and LGBTQI human rights. And actually the first special envoy, Jessica Stern is the current one. She's the second ever. The first one is appointed under Obama. His name is Randy Berry, uh, a gay man who was special envoy for two years and then went on to be an ambassador uh, of Nepal um, when soon after Trump came into office and that position was never filled again. Um, so President Biden appointed uh, Jessica Stern, who is an incredible yeah. activist. Back up uh, one second. I'm sorry. I, I just interrupt people because it's what I do. Um, <laughs> can you tell me again what happened when the presidency changed and Obama was no longer president? What happened? Well, the, the position just wasn't filled. I mean, there, there was no attention given to it. So um, so they completely ignored us during the Trump administration, is what you're trying to say. I mean, y yes. Yeah, that's and what no. I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of employees that work for the State Department and other divisions of the of the federal government who 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 stayed on and, and did the hard work and continued to inch things forward behind the scenes, right? I mean, we have so it's not like a complete replenishing and replacement. I mean, there's the State Department has like 77,000 employees or something. It's just the State Department. So it, things edged along quietly behind the scenes, but there certainly was not an appointed uh, special envoy for LGBTQI rights. And and to his credit, Randy Berry did want the I included. I mean, and and that was be because he was seeing it included abroad. I mean, this is, we're talking foreign policy, so he's working and we're working with countries all around. And the I has been included in the alphabet soup a lot earlier outside of the U.S., Randy saw that happening. So that, that's also kind of why the State Department has sort of been the first to, to, to stand out as including intersex and recognizing intersex human rights. It's really come from outside the US. Um, even though intersex rights are being abused right here in the United States. I mean, you know, it's a tricky, yeah. tricky dance when you're out there 
trying to convince other countries, governments to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, we're still doing, you know, genital mutilation on babies in hospitals here. So, um, but it does depend on the administration. So could this position, could this office not be funded and not be staffed, you know, in two and a half years? Yeah, that's the sad Vote truth. People. Vote people. And we're, we're, so our mindset is do what we can now and try to lay some groundwork. You know, try to lay some groundwork that will that will continue and can't be broken down after That's we leave. So I hate to do this, but we're actually over time already. Oh my gosh! And I got like another hour's by. worth of questions. I know that flew <laughs> so by. I'm gonna have to cut time us off flies here. when you're having fun, doesn't it? Thank you so much for bringing such great news that we all cried. <laughs> and Julie, I think your eyelashes down over here. Somewhere. Oh. It probably is. And you, I, look great. you look great. I, no, I almost it's... took my pillow and I was like, well, you know, because I don't have any Kleenex in my house. All right. So I'm going to ask you to stick around so we can chat a little bit after the show, if that'd be okay. And uh, I think we're going to close this show up because it's hard to get people to watch for an hour in the first place. <laughs> so thank you for listening to the original more information about any of our guests, the original Intersex Connect Live, to watch prior episodes, leave comments, or contact us on social media, visit us linktree intersex slash intersex connect. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash intersex connect. Be sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss future programs, articles, special announcements, events, and more. If you're interested in volunteering to help create the original Intersex Live, visit our website and send us a message. I'm Justin Benedict. See you next time on the next Original Intersex Connect Live. Bye, everybody.